0: Chronicles of Leadership, Chapter 23, An Inspector Calls, Wendy Lockinge, Trouble, when Orlando permits a visitor to see me without an appointment it can only mean trouble. Orlando has near perfect sensitivity as my guardian at the gate. A vital if unwritten part of his work is to deal with requests from individuals who want to beat the system and forced their way into my ridiculously packed daily schedule. These are the seekers after justice. vicious, the disparate and the desperate, the lobbyists, the entrepreneurs, the permission seekers. In earlier times, the guardian at a gate dealt with the supplicants who waited outside a high court, and a would have power to beckon petitioners forward or dismiss them with a gesture. In Persian and other cultures, he became known as the vizier or helper. At Ermston, our reception staff, directed by Orlando, filter out all unscheduled visitors except for the unexpected bearer of urgent and bad news. This was one such interruption to my morning's timetable. There's a senior police officer with a colleague at reception, Orlando informed me. He says you will remember him. They want to speak with you urgently. I can put the planning meeting on hold for a few minutes. Orlando's next words confirmed my fears regarding the identity of my visitor. It's a detective Parswood. Oh yes, I remember Detective Chief Inspector Paul Prudence Parswood, one-time colleague, rival and world-class candidate in the self-advancement stakes. He is a harbinger of mischief and trouble. Prudence behind his back, Percy to his face. My day was about to get far worse. Orlando brought the visitors into one of our small conference rooms. Prudence was accompanied by a young detective constable who looked as if she would have been a useful member of a hockey team or some such game of violence. Her eyes followed Orlando's rear as he left us to our discussions. Normally, a detective as interviewer is dealing with someone less well-equipped. But this time we would be evenly matched with skills at detecting and concealing the truths. There were Russian doll elements in this particular interview. What looks the truth only hides a deeper set of truths or lies. I decided this was to be an interview without coffee. If you wanted to look beyond the first level of a churlish gesture, you may find another motive. I wanted to signal that he was fortunate to be granted an immediate interview, and any attempt to pretend we were all friends would be a waste of time. Barswood settled himself comfortably. He was as florid and overweight as I remembered him. His junior officer sat upright, nicely turned out, eyes fixed on the point of the opposite wall. Percy introduced her as Detective Constable Dotish, before starting on his idea of social niceties. As I was saying to D.C. Dottich on our way over, you and I got way back a long way to when you were a rising star in the undergrowth. We worked together all on our big cases and we were making your reputation in those days. Yes, we did, Paul. And ever since you have mined every ounce of credit you can from them, I thought. I moved to the level of business. It must be something important to bring you here today. He could barely conceal his pleasure. Your secretary, Chappie, told us you could only spare a few minutes. I'll get to the point. He paused long enough for me to prepare myself for another problem to be dealt with. Or maybe he was just enjoying the sweetness of the moment. We just need to clarify a piece of information that cropped up in one of our inquiries. It turns out to be personal and also to relate to one of your staff. Experience concealed the turmoil inside me by what I said or how I looked, in which case I will have to treat it as a matter of record and will be unable to respond before arranging for the head of our legal department to be present. Of course, you may not want to go down that path when you know more about the nature of our investigation. There's a member of your staff with some explaining to do. The person in question has been exchanging a series of messages with a young girl, which suggests a developing friendship. We could have paid said person a visit first. After all, it could all be perfectly innocent. He wanted more from me before he was prepared to mention any names and more to come. And the girl, I asked? That's the personal bit. D.C. Docketshire has her name. Dockage opened her notebook. Her reply could hardly have been more unexpected or unsettling. Her name's Jessica, ma'am. It's your daughter, Jessica Lockinge. I did not conceal my contempt for such a ludicrous suggestion. Jessica? That's outrageous! Parswood continued. Of course we know we can rely on your full cooperation... But in view of the sensitivities in all this, we can quite see how you might prefer to take it to a more official level. I shook my head. No, that's fine. There's obviously been a mistake which we can quickly clear up before you leave today. He did not look too displeased. We must hope so. You know how us parents are often the last to find out what our vulnerable children are up to. His expression had changed to one attempting to convey sincerity never a particularly convincing part of his act. Wendy, before I let the cats get out of the manger any further, I have a request to make in a direct and unofficial manner. Request? I prepared myself for an unpleasant suggestion I might be forced to accept. We are waiting for communication of news about another case, Percy continued. With your permission, I would like DC Docketshire to check on that by contacting the station. Meanwhile, we could have a word together alone is, just the two of us while she does so. It was such an obvious ploy for Percy to speak with me off the record. Alanda will arrange for you to collect your DC when we finish and for you both to be escorted back to our main reception area. That was obviously what he expected me to suggest. Excellent, as understanding as ever told DC Dockett that she would learn something valuable from you. I took Percy into my rooms to have what is called a word in silence. He flopped into one of the easy chairs. I waited as calmly as I could to hear the nature of his offer. Between you and I, Wendy, he began, this is one investigation I could do without. If I sat on it, and the worst happens, I'm accused of covering up for a former colleague. If I go according to the book... We should be interviewing your daughter, yourself, colleagues of yours. What are you proposing, Percy? This is all highly irregular, but I wondered if we could do it this way. No one knows better than me your nose. I looked puzzled. Your nose for clearing up a case, he explained, painting his well known knack of metaphor mixing. You and I go a long way back, Wendy. That doesn't alter the way I must conduct this investigation, but off the record, do you have any idea about what's been going on between Jessica and with who it is on your staff? Off the record, two chums together, what drivel. I shook my head. It doesn't have to be off any record. She is blessedly for the moment uninterested in boyfriends, including members of our faculty. She's more interested in ponies. He looked disappointed, as if I was concealing the truth from him. I was hoping you could sniff out the bad apple and come up with a name and satisfy me there's no need to take this further. Could he really be offering some corrupt deal? This is what I can do, Percy said. You know the pressures that come with this sort of case, but I can hold off for, let's say, two days. That should give someone of your brilliant investigating skills more than time to find out what is going on. There is nothing going on, Percy. He smiled. It was not a pleasant smile. He was punishing me for my past successes. Two days then, he repeated. I know that I'm a grammatical snob, but I believe in part of my parental duty to prevent my daughters from appearing to have learned nothing from an expensive education. May their innocent lips remain free from mixed metaphors and other solecisms. When Orlando returned and the two police officers left, I was already at the whiteboard working with a set of dry markers of various covers. I was in deep diving mode. The term had come to my attention recently at a university away day. There had been games and puzzles and exercises to facilitate team building, such as abseiling and assembling giant pieces of a jigsaw. The highlight of the day was a session on deep diving, which to my relief was another metaphor. It referred to a 21st century version of brainstorming. It starts with the premise that everyday thoughts operate in the mental shallows. With initial help from a deep diving underwater guide, you can move to plumbing previously inaccessible depths. Spurred on by Percy's jibes, I'd started on the problem that he had brought me. I dry the board of its months of multicoloured lisps. I wrote one word Jessica in the middle of the nearly Pristine board using a large black dry marker. Deep dive, I told myself. I added bubbles to the diagram with names in them of people who Jessica had met, and might have had reason to communicate with subsequently. With some unease I added Orlando's name to those on the board. Who else on campus had Jessica known? She met John Keane and then she'd with a few others. Brush was one. I think also Scrivener. I added the bubbles. Did I remember that Jessica mentioned how helpful the librarian had been to her? Sir Simon Chalmers' name was also written on the board. Alanda returned with news that the members of the standing committee had assembled. It was one of those groups at which my privilege is required. The committee had retained the cherished privilege of starting with coffee and biscuits. Its members would not have bothered if I was to be delayed for a few minutes. It would give them a first start on the refreshments. Orlando, before we go in, I'd like to update you on why the police were here. It's probably nothing but their investigative investigating a report that someone on campus has been named in an inquiry they were conducting. They have a name they won't reveal to me yet. He looked even more puzzled. This is someone who has no skill in concealing his feelings. I didn't need to worry about his involvement, although I would continue with a few more questions. I pressed on. I want to investigate this informally before deciding whether to take it further. The police think they have evidence that one of our staff may have been having a relationship with a young female also on campus. Do you think there is anything in it? Yes, it would be terrible. But I also think it's all nonsense and we can resolve it rather quickly. All signs of anxiety vanished from his face. Well, that's all right then. Yes, that's all right then, I agreed, as we headed for the committee room. The next problem is that all the biscuits will have been eaten. There were indeed no biscuits left. Not that I was obsessing about biscuits. During the meeting, my mind wandered mainly over people whose names were on the list. I also was wondering what Percy was up to. I wanted to make one more check on Orlando to clear him completely. Investigation, that's the language of a detective as well as a vice-chancellor. The fragments of a broken promise were being consigned to the dustbin of inconvenient memories. The meeting ran its uneventful course. And afterwards we picked up the discussion where we had left off. Orlando was his usual attentive but slightly concerned self. Orlando, I want to ask you something about Jessica. He nodded. He seemed to find the request surprising but not threatening. I might have been about to discuss a birthday treat for her. The detectives we met have obtained a completely false piece of information. Now I need to show them there's been a mistake before they drag the university into a stupid investigation, causing a lot of unnecessary damage. Over Jessica? Now he was more concerned. Partly, but whoever is or isn't going on, she's fine. Grandma's stunned as any parent would be. I've been on the other side of the table too often to concern mothers. It takes time for reality. I stopped what was beginning to sound like a soliloquy. Sorry, I must get to the point. The police think that Jessica is developing a relationship with one of the staff of the university. Orlando Cardinali behaved as I hoped and expected. He was frozen in mid-gesture. He searched for a few seconds to produce sounds to regain balance in space. Eventually the spell broke. That's crazy! The police have the name of the person involved. Will you be able to show there's nothing in it? Do you want to talk to him? I assume it is a him as soon as possible. Orlando Cardinali, I thought. You are completely in the clear. Of course I want to talk to him but they without telling me who he or maybe she is. I've put together a list I want you to look at. Before I show you my list, I'd like you to think of anyone here who to your knowledge Jess knew and who might have been in contact with her this semester. The customary Orlando grimace of thoughtfulness. No one particularly. She's contacted me a few times. I probably still have the text or emails. They are mostly about equipment for horse riding. There was the function we held a few months back. I prompted, but he couldn't recall Jessica's brief appearance. I remember using the library during the school project, and now I think of it. That's been something Doctor Keener suggested. John Keene, What was it about him? Why did I think there was nothing to the entire story, and at the same time still considered him the person to whom I most wanted to speak? I turned the whiteboard around to show Orlando my Jessica spider diagram. Contacts, not suspects, I added hastily. That's why you're up there. First will would have expected me to have spoken with him before he returns. Can you set up meetings as a priority? He set off, in no need of further clarifications. I wandered over to the window and looked out across the campus. In doing so, another idea came to me. I went back to the whiteboard and added another bubble to the diagram. In it I had written the name of my younger daughter, Penelope. We had to pay a visit to Elizabeth's while they maintained the function of being little Miss Perfects while telling their grandmother what they wanted but did not expect to get for their birthdays. In the car afterwards, Penelope asked how many cards I would be receiving for Valentine's Day. I expect you get hundreds and hundreds from the students, she said. Don't forget the staff ones, Jessica had added. Derek has to make an extra internal mail delivery just for the Valentine cards they send. My well-brought-up children sniggered to each other in a way they would never do in front of Elizabeth, or, I hope, their class teachers. It was Penny's next remark that I now recall, along with the rest of the joshing in which the girls were indulging. I know who Jess is sending a card to, Penny announced. Whom I corrected her, still mostly concentrating on where we were going. To whom is Jessica sending a Valentine card? Can't say, won't say, Penny added, pausing for breath. You're the detective. If someone she is very keen on, you can work out for yourself. You can work out who she's keen on. The two lapsed into another fit of giggles. And I realised she'd been making a pun. I could imagine that Penny from the back of the car would have punctuated what she was saying with air quotes, around the word Keen. Jessica was keen on Keen. Penny was teasing her sister over John Keen and teasing her mother over what they saw as my grammatical pedantry. Maybe her concealed message about John Keen had been lurking about ever since in my subconscious, making me uneasy about one of the names on my list. I would have to start with John Keen. Perhaps it would not be a straightforward discussion as I had originally believed. It was one lighter moment later during an otherwise fought day. Delicate security gave Orlando a hilarious account of what happened to Percy after his pseudo-interview with me. He and his sidekick were being shepherded back to the security desk. On the way, Percy's trained nose detected a familiar scent as they passed through the sheltered walkway. You sniff that docket, skunk, I'd say. The place reeks of it. We don't even need to bring in the canines. Not yet, anyway. Unless we catch the students or stuff with joint in hand, we concentrate on nubbing the pervy professor. At reception, they informed Derek that they intend to take a much-deserved refreshment break before leaving the university. Parswood also asked whether security had been briefed to detect and apprehend drug users. Derek says he would contact me to find out. Parswood said that won't be necessary for the moment. He's pumped up about what he sees as success in putting me on the back foot. He's also acting as if the marijuana he detected in the walkway had a stronger effect on him than on its original users. He's alert to the 101 way that students are breaking the law of the land with impunity. Percy must have then had one of the moments of inspiration which have done so much to influence his career path. Why don't I just have one last look around, Dockage? Security seems to accept we can be left to find our own way out. I need a pee. Wait here for me, he sets off, deliberately ignoring the toilets closer to the reception area. A few minutes later, he'd found his way to the faculty offices, quickly scanning the names and looking in which doors were ajar. Towards the end of the corridor, he reaches the men's toilet, which is where his triumphal mourning was coming to an abrupt end. There is no one at the urinals one of the cubicles is occupied. Maybe he is literally sniffing to detect any more evidence of weed fumes. What he is hearing set him quivering at what he had stumbled upon. Male voices in low conversation are coming from inside a cubicle. Perverts, he would have thought, drug addicts and perverts. Should he wait until they finish their loathsome activities? As decisive as ever, he slips quietly into the adjacent cubicle and struggles to look over the partition, the better to see what was going on. His large head would have appeared above the cubicles at the same time as the lock of the door clicked open. Its sole occupant emerges, its scrivener, who has been taking a call on his mobile. At that moment, Derek arrives at the toilet area. He has been alerted to the presence of a stranger peering into the offices, and would be then seen entering the men's toilets. Tony Scrivener stares in astonishment at the large figure who was balancing precariously on the seat of the cubicle and peering down at him, red-faced through the exertions. "'I have to escort you back to security, Sir,' Derek says. At that, Percy loses his footing and slips back out of view. There's a cry and the noise of a poorly executed plunge into water. Not so much deep diving as splashing.' Derek and Scrivener extracts him in some pain from the toilet into which Percy has fallen. Derek's next remark is a gem. Looking for marijuana, are we, sir, he asks the whimpering and wet detective. I'm afraid I'm going to have to make a report about all this. For all the buffoonery, I'm taking Percy seriously. I knew of his obsessive hatred of drug abuse from the time we worked together. Set aside the comedy of his pratfall, what had he been up to? What if the entire visit by Parswood and the lascivious sidekick had a deeper meaning? A plan of action was beginning to take shape in my mind. It is now a matter of urgency that Susie Yupp makes progress into meniscus. The event of Brian Triscothic. The event in honour of Brian Triscothic will serve as our Trojan horse.